0: Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut. I'm an ASC cinematographer, and I wanted to kind of talk to you about something. Getting started in this industry is almost impossible. And my wife Lydia and I, 14 years ago, created a resource called Filmmakers Academy to make it possible. We saw a lot of gatekeeping in this industry and not a lot of sharing knowledge. So we wanted to pull back the curtain Give you confidence, teach you all the necessary skills to be an amazing, successful filmmaker, and package it all on this online resource that you have at your fingertips, on set, on your phone, on your laptop, whatever it is. So, we're going to give you $50. So, if you go into the show notes, click the link, and hit the promo code FAPOD50, you're going to get $50 on your first year of an All Access membership. And I cannot wait for you to join our immense and immersive community at Filmmakers Academy, where we network, we share knowledge, we just bond as this huge filmmaking uh, resource to ignite your creativity and push you beyond your boundaries. I cannot wait to see you in the Academy, and let's get to the podcast. Welcome to Shane's
1: Inner Circle Podcast
0: with your hosts, Shane and Lydia. Hello, Inner Circle members, and welcome to the December 2016 podcast. This is going to be a very fun and very unique one, kind of a new style, where both myself and my beautiful and lovely and incredible supportive wife, Lydia, and CEO and the vision of this company and why all of you are listening to us right now is going to be, we're going to do a tag team. So we're going to uh, basically answer some questions and you're going to hear it from both sides. And we wanted to thank you so much for all of your support during this holiday season. I think it's a wonderful time to kind of reflect and and give back and gratitude. And we wanted to kind of, you know, open our, our hearts to all of you. And thank you so much for all your support in 2016. Take it away, Lydia.
1: We wanted to wish you a relaxing, festive, and wonderful holiday with all of your families. And just thank you for taking the time throughout the year for answering questions from other Inner Circle members, for generating new ideas, for sharing how you have done your projects, and just really wanted to let you know how much we appreciate each and every one of you around the world in your different time zones. So have a blessed holiday, and we wish you massive success in 2017.
0: All right, so let's uh, start with our first question. This is from Michael. Hi Shane and Lydia. I'm a 20-year-old cinematographer transferring to a large film school and I wanted to know what your philosophy is about education at the start of a career. My school's undergraduate program is a wonderful course that seems very similar to the experiences you reminisced about from your Emerson College days. However, I'm conflicted as to whether I should stick with my current undergraduate program route or try to get a master's degree in film production. The master's program is only open to 12 people each year, and it's almost entirely focused on producing a thesis feature film alongside specialized advanced training classes for whatever role the student wishes to pursue, such as a cinematographer. If I get in, do you think such an advanced course will be beneficial, or would it be better to get out of school and start the long climb up the industry ladder instead? What should a film student's overall game plan be towards education to ensure their starting their career off on the right foot and not wasting time and money at school. Thank you so much for the educational resource you're providing. I hope you inspire other ASC cinematographers to follow in your footsteps towards educating the masses. Michael. All right, well, this is a great question because I was posed with this as well when I first started out. I went to Emerson College. I graduated, and I thought I wanted to continue my education, and I applied to the American Film Institute called AFI, and that was in Hollywood. And I got all my films and all my different things that and my resume and all my grades and submitted it to AFI thinking that this was exactly the the direction that I should head and it is for many people a lot of uh, the cinematographers that I have uh, that I work alongside went to AFI went to other masters programs and especially a lot of the music video shooters, when we were kind of coming up the ladder together, shooting music videos and commercials, and then breaking out into the narrative, a lot of them had gone to a master's program. I did not get into AFI, and I thought that was a perfect, let's say, a wake-up call for me to say, all right, well, you know, I'm done with school. I've gotten my, my bachelor's of art in film, and I need to get out there and see what I can do. So I chose to not reapply and I just started to do whatever it took to get me into the business. And it was scary at first because I didn't have the, the safety of being in a, an environment, a, an educating environment, a, a school. Uh, I was having to, you know, find work to support myself in any way I could. And it's, it is scary when you first get out there, and I feel that a lot of s- film students have a false sense of security, especially ones that really rise to the top of their class because with rising to the co- top of your class, you're like the big fish in the small pond and you really think you, you're you really impressive and that everything you do is incredible And you feel like you're going to get out there and everyone's going to want to hire you and you're going to just get work left and right. And it could not be further from the truth. You come out and you, if you take that attitude, that the world is not going to be so uh, wonderful for you. You need to get out of school and uh, know that you know absolutely nothing. And then really kind of build your foundation and build yourself up based on proving yourself to everyone around you to show that you have the stuff, to show you have the goods, the work ethic, the commitment, the excellence. And then when you get to the point where you're able to really you know, rise and show this this tenacity and this excellence and this hard work, then you can start to bring about your creative sense to everything. But coming out of film school with that false sense of security, I mean, I had it. It was awesome. I came out of film school. Now, I didn't think I was going to be a cinematographer. I thought I was going to be a producer, because I was good with numbers and I could convince anyone to do anything. So I was like that's a great producer. So I get out and my mom bought me a three-piece suit and I started pounding the pavement in Boston just fresh out of college thinking I was just going to knock down the doors and everyone was going to say hire me because I was good and I was from Emerson College and uh sure enough, you know, I about 20 or 30 doors got slammed in my face and uh, there were no jobs for me. In any kind of role of production. So I ended up going back to my internship and asking them if they would hire me. And I started packing grip trucks and coiling cables and cleaning cases and for $3 and 50 cents an hour. And that's how I got into the business. And it was a huge wake up call and a huge slap in my face and a major eat, ego kind of trasher because I was like all of a sudden I thought hey man I graduated from this really uh prestigious film school and it's got a lot of great alumni and you know I'm going to they're going to get me jobs and and this is going to be so amazing and not one of those things happened but what did happen is a grit and a resilience and a building of a foundation that now looking back, twenty five, twenty six years, it's really helped me be a better cinematographer, a better leader, and hopefully a, a a very good husband and and a and a father to my children. All right, Lydia, what do you have to say about this?
1: Well, I'm intimately familiar with school because I spent the entire decade of my twenties in school, and I think. School is amazing. I think it's important. It gives you life experience that you would never have. Our daughter right now is living, you know, in 108 square feet with a roommate in Manhattan and sharing a bathroom with 50 people. And those types of things are really important to have as a human being in terms of life experience. What I will say In terms of getting a master's degree in film, I think it's very important to get some set experience first and, you know, your hands dirty, so to speak, um, in a variety of roles so that you really know what it is that you want to do. Because some people come out of film school and when you actually get on set, you realize that you're not loving let's say, cinematography or whatever it is as much as you thought, and you really do want to change direction. So I think it's very important to to have the practical experience for a bit out of school, and then it really helps you decide what it is that you're committing to because it is challenging. I think that there are many more opportunities today for people right out of school in terms of doing web series or You know, you can choose to take the traditional route or you can you have the entry is so much greater than it used to be in terms of opportunities for shooting. And I think that you really, really take advantage of those and get the practical experience, understand what it's like from, you know, being on set and being behind the camera or producing a job or ADing a job, whatever role that it is that you're taking. And maybe you're taking on 10 different roles because it's a teeny tiny little micro project with no budget. But I think that it will really you know, help you go in the direction that you want to go. And that it's very important to be focused once you decide it what it is that you actually love and to get as much experience as possible and to not be arrogant, to go in with the can-do attitude of whatever it takes, whatever it takes in terms of experience, whatever it takes in terms of making a job great that will make you successful. I did end up doing graduate school, and I felt like that really prepared me in a totally different way to be a leader. I did it when I was in my late 20s, and so I had a lot of practical experience first before I went into graduate school, and it made me enjoy graduate school all that much more. So I think it's really knowing yourself and knowing what you love to do. And if you're the type of person that digs school, you know, graduate with an undergraduate degree, get out, get some experience, and then go back to graduate school. If school is not for you or you're just sick of it and burned out, then, you know, dive into life, get on as many sets and get as many opportunities as you can, or go into a rental house, whatever it is that turns you on, but really take the time to figure that out. Because otherwise, you're going to spend a lot of years spinning your wheels and without direction. And that's very, very frustrating. So go ahead, Shane.
0: Yeah. And so that kind of falls into Quentin's question. Hello, I'm a young filmmaker. 17 years old, trying to pick up a skill set to hone in on, but I was wondering, should I try my hardest to be the best at one thing or learn as much as that I possibly can about a lot of things? Great work. Keep it up, Quentin. All right. Well, to address that kind of down the road that Lydia was talking about is I find that you really can't know what you want to do until you kind of at least for me, I had to dabble in everything. I had to be a grip. And I first was a grip truck driver and uh, I could drive trucks because we had big grain trucks on the farm. So I could handle that stuff. And then I became a grip where I was running gear in and everything. Then I was a dolly grip and a dolly grip is a wonderful transition into, you know, understanding where the camera is and where it's placed and camera movement. And so I learned a lot of great experience from some cinematographers and 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 key grips that kind of guided me down that road. Then I became a gaffer and I started to understand light. And and uh, with the grip, I understand camera motion and shaping light and, and shadow and 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 with lighting, it's like lighting units and what lights do exactly, you know, where do you apply specific lights? What will they give me? Uh, how much exposure? What kind of quality and quantity of this light? So, you know, I, I kind of did a ton and then I started getting into camera and then understanding the tech of it all and, and uh, understand the, you know, operating. And so I wanted a big, broad spectrum to then hone in on exactly what I really wanted to do. And it took me a while to really discover that. It took me, you know, three or four years to realize doing all these different jobs that I wanted to become a cinematographer. So, you know, to uh, your question, Quentin, I think it's, it's great to be able to have all these skills because it makes you a very powerful individual on set when you've done a lot of the jobs that you are then collaborating with your team. Because I find I'm able to make time and schedule Decisions because my keys are not brought on to the last couple of weeks before we go on a movie. Uh, so I'm able to make time and schedule. You know estimates of how long it's going to take for us to light this set and go in. If if I didn't have the ability of being a gaffer and electrician and knowing how long it takes to run power and how long it takes to hang the lights and what to rig these lights with and how to rig them, and all that stuff, I could not give these estimates, and I could not be as efficient as as I was as on on my motion pictures that I shoot, and it's. It's based on just that experience of starting at the bottom. And we're going to have a lot of questions that we have on our list about starting at the bottom and what that gives you. And I think more than anything, it gives you resilience. And I think that it's not necessarily, I there's a lot of uh, people that, you know, think they're a cinematographer coming out of school, there's plenty of jobs for them to have a camera and start shooting. And, and that's, that is absolutely an option for you. And you can go down that route, call yourself a cinematographer, you know, go on the skills that you have, go on your creativity, try to, you know, learn as much as you can while by, you know, while failing and succeeding. But the world of major motion pictures and high-budget commercials is made on the men and women that start at the bottom. And they work their way up, gaining all the skills and the trade levels at a pace that they can actually ingest the knowledge. We talk about mentorships not really happening anymore and the trades kind of losing their focus and everything. And that's one reason why Lydia and I created Shane's Inner Circle is because we did feel that that was going by the wayside and that in these regional markets where there's really not any mentors because they feel that if they tell you anything, they will be you're going to all of a sudden be a competition within that regional market and take work away from them. So what we have done is we've, we're filling that gap to try and mentor and give you and assist you with skills and a skill level that is way above DIY and way above you know, rudimentary three-point lighting and just setting a camera on sticks and doing an interview. This is the big vision. This is the grand vision of 25 years of experience and 20 some odd movies underneath my belt that we are all culminating sharing you in a mentorship so you can go out and be able to do this. And you have the knowledge. And this is how I learned. I mean, I didn't learn on big budget movies. I started on you know, small little budget music videos that they, we were putting shit together with popsicle sticks and gaffers tape. And, you know, it was very, very low budget. And I had to do whatever it took to try and get the vision and deliver what the director wanted. And, and this is, this is, what we all do, we're working up to this, but we want to try and and uh, show you what it's going to take to get to this level, and that level is something that is not going to be done starting considering yourself a cinematographer.
1: Exactly, and just to dive in, I think you you always need to keep in mind your reputation because if you're calling yourself something that you really don't have the skill set or the knowledge to stand behind, people remember that. And I think in this world of the film industry, memories are elephant-like. They're very, very long. And it's hard to undo something. So it's very important to be humble and not arrogant. And when you take on a certain level of job to really make sure that you have the skill set to knock it out of the park so that you get repeat business versus falling on your face, not really knowing what you're doing, and then leaving the taste in production and client's mouth or the director's mouth of, wow, I'm not ever going to hire that guy again, because that's horrifying. And that is really hard to undo. And the other thing is, I just want to touch on mindset and attitude, because I think that we see both of these. So the great thing, the feedback that we've gotten from the inner circle is the confidence boost, how people really feel like they're able to go on set and just have the confidence and not be so terrified to try out new techniques. And that confidence is so important and the confidence is built over time, you know, through trial and error a lot of times. And so I think it's really knowing yourself, knowing your skill set, knowing your level of confidence, and then and and not being arrogant, because I see a lot of people in the younger generation with a an all-knowing, arrogant, arrogant attitude. And honestly, that is the biggest turnoff for both production, for directors, for, you know, for anybody that you're going to come across, because it kills creativity. When you're all knowing and you're arrogant, you can't learn. You cannot take in new ideas or new knowledge because you already know everything so i just wanted to touch on those two things because whatever the final decision is in terms of if you want to call yourself a cinematographer and and dive in straight away or you want to you know really try a bunch of different things and you know then make a choice your attitude Honestly is everything because, and I've said this before, but when you have equal skill set, you will get hired based on your attitude and your personality. So- Shane.
0: Yeah. So let's move on to a a great question that we're kind of touching on, but I want to just dive deeper into it. This is from Adam from Manchester, England. Hi, Shane. I was just wondering what your opinion is on becoming a DP the traditional way, trainee, assistant, focus puller, operator, DP versus the modern way of just becoming a low budget DP and working your way up via low budget films. Uh, corporate jobs, etc. I'm a camera trainee and I love everything about working on a professional TV dramas and films at the bottom, but I do also shoot as many short films as possible in my spare time, but this doesn't happen as often as I'd like. I have worked with many trainees and assistants who want to work their way up to DP one day, but I also have many friends who just work as a DP or camera op on low-budget films and corporate jobs. And although they don't earn much money and some of them have never even been on a professional set, they're out there acting as and being a DOP and getting to practice their lighting and camera skills. And I often get pretty jealous of that. Do you have a strong opinion on which method is better? or does it simply come down to what's best for the individual? Well, I think it's what's best for the individual, but also I have to say you if you took the scale of people that started out low-budget corporate and worked, you know, calling themselves a a DOP. I love all the DOP, director of photography. If you called yourself a a DOP and did these little indie features and corporate jobs and everything. And if you gauge that, let's say a hundred of them, How many of them actually got above that genre and move forward would probably be under six, maybe under four. But the people that work their way up through trainee, camera, operator, then to DP, you know, assistant focus puller, that whole realm, you start to meet people that have connections, and are working on the big jobs. so you're going to work on the big jobs. and you might be a trainee working on the big jobs, but you're watching the big onset experiences. You're taking in all that knowledge of how a a list top-end cinematographer and director communicate with each other, how they work together, what the set feels like. Is it quiet? Is it fun? Is it loud? You know, all this, you start to take in the dynamics. And when you're a trainee, you're working on so many different sets with so many different creatives. My God, it just is like the incredible foundation and brick and mortar that you want to build your career. I mean, I talk about resilience. And the reason I really talk about this is because I had a cinematographer that I will not name. That was a screamer. And this dude yelled at you from morning until night, beating you down, nothing you could do right. Everything was not fast enough. Everything was not soon enough. Everything was wrong in just some small way. Well, I have to say that cinematographer is one of the best cinematographers in the world. He taught me so much and he was a screamer. And but he gave me the resilience because without that foundation of working with somebody that difficult and just every time you get knocked down, I got back up. Every time he said I did it wrong, I tried to do it better. Every time I didn't do this right, I just got back up and said, oh, fuck that, I'm going to do it better. You know, every single time I got back up and delivered. Now you smash cut to a feature film where I'm working and we, I have a director that is exactly like this director of photography. And he screams at me, for 60 days straight. He screamed at everyone. Without that foundation, without that learning, without experiencing all the different type of personalities, I would have not been able to hold my cool I would have not been able to deliver the creative process and the vision that I wanted for the project. And these are things that you learn by coming up the ladder. Now, when you're immediately in a cinematographer standpoint, then you're already telling people what to do. Well, that's all great if you are a born leader and you have that leadership skills already coming in at that entry level of like saying you're a cinematographer at 17 or 20 years old and you're already saying you're going to be leading these people, that is pretty difficult to believe because leadership comes from the core and it comes from a lot of uh, making mistakes and it comes from, you know, really understanding all different types of personalities and how to react to those personalities and how to get the best out of individuals. I mean, I have to say coming up the ladder, I failed a lot of times at leadership I failed left and right. People said that when they were working with me as a gaffer, I was ruthless. I was exacting and you could not make mistakes. And, you know, a lot of people didn't want to work with me because I was very, very perfectionistic. And that perfectionistic attitude is detrimental sometimes. And it really took me a while to look at myself and say, you know, Shane, we can be perfect. We just don't need to be super perfect. And we can do it fast, not super fast. And uh, so there was a A really big attitude change for me once I started to feel a little more comfortable in my shoes as a cinematographer and as a leader of, I mean, sometimes take Terminator Salvation, I'm leading over 170 people, not just, and this is not the whole team. This is lighting, camera, grip, and electric and pre-rig crews and everything. It's, It's a deep crew. And that leadership does not happen from somebody at 17 or 20 years old. And it happens with building this resilience and seeing how other other people lead and gaining that experience. And this is what I have to say. It's like starting at the bottom has a lot of benefits. It might seem like a slow process, but it has incredible uh, amount of benefits for all of you to really gain that resiliency.
1: And I think if you look at it as a slow burn or instant gratification model. So the slow burn is starting at the bottom and it's going to be frustrating and you're going to feel like you're not moving up quickly enough and you're going to be frustrated with yourself and the roles and the opportunities. But a few things that Shane touched on that I think are so critically important You never know when you're a really, let's say, a PA on a big set. You never know who's going to stop by, who you're going to come in contact with, what experiences you're going to tuck away for the future, how to work with actors, how uh, really watching the AD, watching the script supervisor and how organized they are, picking up all of these little details along the way is absolutely critical for your future growth and learning. And again, we're biased in this direction. Um, if you're an instant gratification type of person, then you can dive right into being a DOP, and there's nothing wrong with that choice. But what we've seen based on our life experience is that the people that do that really learn after a few projects okay. <laughs> that they wish they'd made the other choice and then end up starting at the bottom. So, just a little tidbit from behind the scenes from me.
0: And I got a, like there's like three questions that are all kind of the same, and we wanted to kind of address them. One is from Chandler. The other ones don't have names at after them, but they're they're good questions, and I wanted to kind of uh, blast through these so you can kind of, and then we'll answer them. I hear a lot of cinematographers say they started as a camera assistant or a grip or a PA or worked their way up. If I may be blunt, How did they work their way up? I've never heard them mention their journey up the ladder, so to speak. Did somebody just look at them and say, you know, they could make a great second electric or was it them just asking, hey, I can try this. My understanding is that if you're really good at a job, then your employer will do their best to keep you at that job and more than likely won't let you move up the ladder. How did you transition? What conversations work, et cetera, did it take to you to get to the level of a cinematographer? Well, we've kind of, you know, been dancing around all this that, yes, I started at the bottom, you know, did how do? if I may be blunt, how did they work their way up? Well, you work your way up by people noticing your skill level. And, and also, you know, I, I, I have to, let me take that back for a second. Hard work, passion, energy emotion and excitement and fresh ideas go a long way. And and balls ass just jumping off a cliff. And that's how I moved up the ladder. Because I started as a grip truck driver and then I got offered grip work. So I wasn't driving truck anymore. I was just doing some grip work because they could see that I was a good grip and I could set a C-stand and a flag and I was very fast and I showed up on time and all that good stuff. So I started working as a grip. Well, the next movie, I just called myself a key grip. I, I said I was a key grip. I got a low budget film offered to me that they... I sent my resume in and I, I just said, I'm a key grip. And they're like, well, where's your experience? And I said, well, I did this, 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 and this, but you know, I'm passionate. I'm going to work so hard. I want this, you know, I came in and just knocked the interview out of the park and I got the job. So I'm forcing my way up. I'm not having somebody or an employer move me up. I forced my way up and I forced my way up as a gaffer as well. I was a key grip for two or three years working with a lot of cinematographers, and I forced my way into the gaffer. I jumped directly from a key grip to a gaffer. So I went from moving the camera, shaping and controlling light, setting flags, all that stuff, right into a gaffer, uh, understanding the you know how to light and how to use all this stuff. I forced my way into it.
1: But okay, I'm going to help Shane out here for a second. (laughs) Because it's not forcing. It's because I was there at the time. So I do do intimately remember it. Shane felt confident as a key grip. And you always know you're ready to make the next leap. When
0: okay, that's a better word for it.
1: Yeah, instead of forcing, right? He didn't force. It's not like you're twisting somebody's arm. No, no, but, exactly. I'm not.
0: I didn't mean it by twisting somebody's arm. I, I basically said I was a key grip, or I said I was a gaffer, and that's what I went for. I, I didn't. I didn't let somebody else say, "Okay, it's your turn to move up."
1: Right. So it's a proactivity. And a, and a confidence and skill set. So when Shane felt incredibly confident as a key grip, then he, w- then he felt confidently proactive to take on Gaffer.
0: Yeah, I got to a point where I was like, okay, I've done this. I think I've learned everything that I really need to learn from being a key grip to help me as a cinematographer. Now I need to move on to a gaffer. And when I got to a gaffer and did that for three or four years, I felt that I had learned everything I needed to learn to help me assist me as to being a cinematographer. And then I moved to a cinematographer. So these were things that I and I forced myself to do it as well, like internally in the core of my of my, uh, you know, what Lydia talked about is the mindset Right? So. And all my director of photographies that were hiring me as a gaffer did not want me to move up the ladder, right? Not that they were scared of the competition, but they just loved me as a gaffer, and it really helped them deliver their look. So I had to end up charging exactly what the cinematographer was getting on the job as a gaffer, so I eventually—like, it only took two or three jobs— where they just wouldn't hire me as a gaffer anymore.
1: (laughs) And I think that that was the really scary leap, Mm. because when you look at leaping off the cliff, as we always say, obviously not literally, but just figuratively, the fear factor. So going, becoming a grip, you know, was a little bit scary. And but Shane also at that time, I was a nurse and making a decent income. And I I had the ability to work double shifts. And so, you know, we always knew that we had an income. We always had my income. So it wasn't just Shane supporting us. And then when Shane went to being a gaffer. Um, It was a little bit better money than a key grip was making at that time. And, you know, it was he was working pretty consistently. That was a little scary where it really got scary in terms of could we pay the bills or not was when he made the leap to director of photography because we had a reel that we obviously had cut at that time. But this is way before he had an agent And, you know, you you have to do a few projects before you can get an agent. So that was really scary because by then, you know, we had we were renting a house and it was just it it was scary. We had higher overhead. And, you know, again, my money potentially could have paid the bills. But it was just I remember that being a really frightening leap and we also knew that we couldn't go back because then he would have ticked off the people. If it didn't work, they didn't want to hire him again as a gaffer.
0: Well, remember when we, uh, so we bought this house, we, uh, we went in first house. Uh, first house. I was a uh, gaffer and, you know, my parents uh, helped us out and we, we uh, got into this house and We were all settled and moved in, and I didn't work for four months straight.
1: That was terrible. That was absolutely (laughs) terrifying. And we were like, "Okay, great. Do we need to put it on the market now, or what was happening?" So, I think there are those times where you just have to trust in your skill and your. And that's where it also really pays. And we're not talking about the business side of it so much here, but it's, you know, being a squirrel, putting money aside when you're really, really busy and things are going very, very well. You always want to squirrel away a few months so that if. Work gets slow, if there's a strike, who knows? I remember that was the other th- thing that was very scary with the strikes and how people were out of work for months.
0: Oh man, that's that's something that just uh, killed us. Um, we I, in my career, Uh, since starting in 1986, I think we have had four or five massive strikes within the the movie business, whether it was actors, whether it was writers, whether it was Teamsters, uh, that really crippled the industry. And it was very difficult times. I mean, I, I think back at my transition and how how quickly I did move up the ladder, I don't think I could have done that without Lydia. You know, her support and her income enabled me to do jump off the cliff and really put myself out there and challenge myself and knowing that I had that nest egg that she was going to be able to pick up the pieces if I failed.
1: One quick thing on this because um this gets to if you're to the topic of if you're both in the film industry or if you're in different industries, and this is a fun little aside. So if you're both in the film industry, that can be good and it can be bad. It's great from the standpoint that you understand one another and you understand the working hours and the the, the crazy travel and the you get it. And It makes it a lot easier psychologically and emotionally where you don't potentially have the resentment because the person really does understand. Or you could come back at the end of your day and talk about it and actually have somebody look at you and understand the lights or understand, you know, your setup and really get it. However, if you have somebody that's not in the film industry, it's it's very appealing from the stability standpoint because you know that their work most likely is more stable and not dependent in the same way or up and down like yours is and so it it's just something to think about when you when you choose a partner um Shane and I before we started working together in the pa- for the past 7 years have always been in really really different careers and the beautiful thing about that is that you know, it was having a different day, having something unique, having crazy wild stories that I would tell from the hospital or, you know, from my forensics background, from doing a death investigation or whatever. And Shane would be fascinated, you know, and his day would be very different. And um, we still have crazy stories today, but our stories are from other people or, you know, from set or whatever um, on a different layering level. Because now I understand so much more, having done it with him for seven years, of how his day is, the gear, all of those things.
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, to say, you know, Lydia and I have been together since we were in 10th grade. So uh, she's grown up in this movie business. So it's not like she is, that she doesn't understand all of the... Endless switch-ups, the vacations that never could happen, the never being able to plan anything. Perfect example, let's smash cut to four days from now. We were planned a vacation to go back and see my mom. My dad died this year, so we wanted to go back east and be with my mom. And I was flying with Lydia to pick up miles at school, and then we were going to drive up the east coast. And see my mom and then Kira is going to come from Manhattan and we're going to have this amazing, you know, Christmas vacation where we're all together. Well, of course, you know, the movie business, what does the movie business do? Well, it changes everything up always. So sure enough, I get a call from a director that I've worked with for seven or eight years. And he's like, I got this spot. It's on the 21st. I really need you. It's a night shoot. And it's going to be amazing for our reel. And and I really love for you to do it. Well, the first thing I think about is Lydia. Okay, she's going to have to fly by herself. She's going to have to pick up the rental car by herself, deal with all the bags, picking up miles, driving all the way to the East Coast, dealing with weather, dealing with her mom, all this stuff and then landing and be there three or four days, five days before I even show up. Well, you know. That's a difficult decision, and these are the kind of decisions that we make on a daily basis being in the movie industry. It can tear a family apart, but Lydia has really gotten she, I think she builds a resiliency of not ever imagining that anything is going to happen. And then when it does, it is magically delicious. If you get into the mindset of, a, of you know, okay, we've planned our vacation, we've booked our tickets, you know, those tickets we have to throw away, you know, all that goes by the wayside. When you start to plan something, I say it's best to plan the greatest vacation. Vacation on the planet and know that if you haven't been working, just plan a vacation. Plan yeah. that vacation and immediately you will be hired.
1: Or golf. We used to have the joke that Shane loves golfing and never has the time to do it, especially with, with kids and and work and all the, hour, the crazy hours of the film industry. And so if he had a period of time, especially in the commercial world where he wasn't working for a few weeks, I'd I'd always say to him, Hey, just schedule like a golf time, a tee off, and then you're good to go. And sure enough <laughs> every time uh, I,
0: I have canceled so more so many golf venues. I mean I Jesus, I haven't golfed in four or five years. <laughs> But yeah, so so that's where we where where I wanted to kind of take you down the road of of uh, just this business being a, a roller coaster ride, and for any of all of you that we've asked that asked the question about getting into the business, understand that there's many ways to go about it. Uh, Lydia and I are sharing our way that was very successful, but that really is a, a wonderful support between your soulmate and yourself. And it's it's very important to kind of find that individual that's incredibly understanding and supportive and doesn't build expectations because the expectations will be destroyed and blown up every single time.
1: You need a flexible partner, somebody who's flexible, who's awesome with change. Goes with the flow. Goes with the flow, because you don't want to come home to somebody angry and resentful. And and that's what breaks up relationships. You know, I looked at Shane to use the example of the other day, and I was like, oh, my God, you're doing it to me again. You're not on the plane again. And I have to deal with my mom by myself again. And then I went, you know what? This is a great thing. And it just it's all mindset it is all mindset and and mindset's everything so you know stay positive be generous of spirit especially during this holiday time
0: all right. We wanted to do something a little different. Uh, we've answered uh, most of the questions of getting into the business. We wanted to kind of uh, talk about some stuff that's very important to us. And with New Year's coming right around the corner, we all have our New Year's resolutions. And we wanted to offer up some wonderful New Year's resolutions for all of you, not only to kind of change maybe the way that you're doing things, or but maybe just slight alter alterations, but just awareness, kind of uh, throwing ideas out there of how we live our lives and what we try to live by in the health department.
1: So think of this as a brainstorming session, because whenever anybody brings up, you know, what you should be doing or how you should be eating or it's, it's just you feel like you're getting scolded, right? Or or you're like, oh, my God, I, I can't do that. It's so restrictive or whatever. So this is going to be a fun brainstorming session because we want to hear from you and um, understand, do you like this topic? That's the biggest thing. We're kind of we're touching on it um, because I'm obsessed with alternative therapies and health with my nursing background and just new ideas and techniques and fun things to not make aging um, or getting older so awful. And I think what's really important to remember is that in the film industry, you have a really grinding, grueling job that is exacting in terms of the hours and the the toll that it takes on your body. And so in my mind, we always want to be understanding what options are out there for us so that you don't get injured or and and have to be out of work.
0: So what we wanted to do is kind of uh, go through some bullet points of what has been successful with with how we kind of try to live our lives. And Lydia has been a huge proponent of eating healthy and exercising every morning. She'll get me up. And if I'm not working that day, she's immediately come on. And I'm like, I need my coffee. All right, get your coffee, but let's get out the door. And we're out there walking and just walking, running, walking, running, uh, walking our dog. And it's also a wonderful bonding time where we talk about the business. We talk about what we want to do. We talk about what movies we want to see. We talk about our kids, just everything. It's a great 30, 40 minute walk where we just kind of, you know, take that morning and really start it off fresh and new.
1: And even if you have no time, I think I watched Dr. Oz and he said something about like he squeaks in 20 to 30 minutes every day, no matter what. And it's an easy target to hit. Even if it's 15 minutes, it's not about beating yourself up over, you know, oh, my God, I didn't do my 60 minutes or my hour and a half. Because, you know, we we set walls in front of ourselves because you think, well, I didn't do it, so I'm not going to do it. Like, I only have 15 minutes, so I'm not going to do it at all. Well, how about... Take the 15 minutes, get out in nature, take, you know, a a speed walk or a, a jog walk or whatever it is around the block. And then you've done something for yourself that day. And being out in nature is awesome for your brain.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that I have to say is if you can't even if you don't have the time to necessarily get out there and work out, stretching is absolutely huge. And you can do that in 10 minutes. And it doesn't have the impact of you running around or doing all that stuff. But if there's, I try to at least stretch every day and they've found that it increases blood flow and nutrients to your muscles. It increases your stamina, your flexibility and range of motion. Well, these are huge for us as cinematographers and operators. And, you know, I always say when I get on the dolly and everything, I'm like in some contortionist position operating. As well as slinging on the movie, that takes a lot of stamina and and uh, it's like a burst of energy and it really alerts the mind. And it increases overall ho- health, and they've found that it reduces cholesterol just by stretching every day.
1: Shane has some great stories that he's going to share about how he killed himself when he did not stretch. Oh,
0: yeah, this is a good one. Uh, so I'm on Fathers and Daughters, and, um, you know, I'm I-, I was a good athlete. I played basketball, baseball, soccer. I played semi pro soccer. So I've always had this kind of mentality where, you know, I can, I can do things and I'm, you know, I got really good hand eye coordination. My dad was a great athlete. So I'm, you know, I always feel really good when I'm on set. I can do things. So we have this sequence where Amanda Seyfred is running down the street. She's running to Cameron who is played by Aaron Paul, and she realizes that she does love him and that she needs to go to him and just tell him that. So she is on the street and Gabriel Muccino, the director wanted this really immersive kind of movie shot where we ran down the street and she's running through people and we're in front of her low angle, kind of heroic, the determination in her mind. And we're seeing all the brownstones go by and all the trees and everything. And I'm kind of low and I'm, and the, and the director Gabrielli, goes, uh, so, so who's doing this shot? I'm like, hey, I am. And he goes, oh, you can run, huh? And I go, yeah, yeah. Because everyone was was not sure if they could keep up with Amanda. So they knew she was fast. And so I was like, I got this. So sure enough, I just grabbed the movie and, you know, Gabrielli's in the minivan because we're going to be running down the road, probably a quarter mile. And I, Amanda's like, you ready, Shane? And I'm like, absolutely. And three, two, one, and we take off. And it was a rehearsal. I didn't roll and she couldn't keep up with me she, I just just completely blew her out, and I stop and at the end of the run, and Gabrielli goes, Oh, you can run who you are fast, right and I'm just laughing and having a good time, and I'm feeling really good about myself, you know I'm like, yeah, I still got this shit, right All right, let's roll, so we go to roll and I get into my position and And I run and I'm going about a third of the way down the road and I blow my hamstring out (laughs) and drop to the ground. And I I thought it was hilarious because my assistant Poe comes up to me and she goes, dude, you're 50. That kid over there, Chris Hare, he's 19. Make him run. (laughs) And we did. And we got the shot. So if I would have stretched and just taken 10 minutes when, you know, instead of me just thinking, I'm this great athlete, I don't have a problem doing this, I'm just going to run and actually started to stretch and work myself out and get ready for the thing, I would have shined bright. But I went from hero to zero in about 10 seconds.
1: You could have done it with the stretching, honey. Um, it was cold too, and that's it was
0: minus. It was minus ten.
1: Okay, so this is one other thing: your muscles, and we all know this. This is not rocket science. Your muscles tense up in the cold, and it's really, really important to give them a great blood flow because when you're doing a 12 to 14 hour day, sometimes 15 hour days, they need. All the energy they can get to keep going, to keep going. So let's talk about sleep for a second, because it's come to my mind over and over again. I know Ariana Huffington really goes on about the importance of sleep. I had a physical yesterday, and, you know, my doctor was asking, How many hours do you sleep a night? And I think somehow we all, are under the delusion of, well, if I get six, you know, it's, it's not eight that I should get, but it's okay. And, six is really, really bad. And if you dive into looking at the research, there was one article that I saw that said six hours of sleep is the same as getting or less is the same as getting no sleep. And I was like, what? How can that be? And again, it's taking the time to really think about this for a second, because sleep is the one thing that I see everybody compromising on. And I think that if we really understood how much it impacts our health in the long term, we would take it a lot more seriously. Now, Shane and I always joke because I don't have his energy level. I'm much more of a grandma. I need a lot more sleep than he does. He can run on a lot less sleep. And that's dangerous. So those of you out there who are like, well, you know, I don't need as much sleep as my wife or partner or kids or whatever, so I'm just going to cram in a bunch of work after I was on set all day. I really just want you to th- to understand, and Shane's going to go through, some of the health risks involved. Because it can actually, you know, shorten your life. And and not to terrify everybody here, but sleep really is important.
0: The movie business is all about not sleeping, right? We work incredibly long hours. I mean, a normal day is 12 hours. Well, think about that. A normal day to billions of, um, of people in the world is 8, and ours is 12 And most of the time it's 15 to 16. So when do you sleep? Well, I found that a lot of times what I need to do is uh, when I get done from work, I need to get back. I need to have a very nice meal. I have a glass or two of wine and I just start to wind my mind down and I try to get to sleep as soon as I can to start the next day. Seven hours of sleep is where is my benchmark to absolutely get, and then I try to get eight to eight and a half whenever I can, and on the weekends, 10. I try to bank sleep hours, but they've also found that that does nothing, so banking hours really is no benefit to you. It's not like banking money. Uh, Well, you know, I got uh, this nice nest egg, you know, it's going to be great. Well, that works beautifully. It just doesn't work that well in the sleep department. Now, I found out that I had sleep apnea, and I think um, a lot of people— with the increased amount of stress, uh, with the ability of, you think back in the 40s and 50s and 60s, my God, we everything was a much slower pace. There was not... I mean, Christ, there wasn't fax machines. There wasn't hardly telephones that, you know, there weren't pagers there. All this, the speeding up, the technology is where, you know, we always say, hey, we needed it yesterday. Well, yesterday, they didn't mind if it came two weeks from now.
1: And there was no social media, which is like the number one sleep interrupter.
0: Yeah. So, you know, one thing right off the bat, you don't want to be on your computer right before you go to bed. That's a proven fact. That will destroy your sleep. So I try to Zen out. We have a sauna that I just go up to and I just kind of relax and stretch in there and just try to meditate and then shock the hell out of my body by going into a cold plunge. But I'm not on my computer.
1: And I read. Um, I I wind down by reading. Um, both of my parents always read before bed, and it was like it's the most relaxing thing because you're you're in some amazing book. You're taking your mind off of whatever it shouldn't be on right before bed. And I end up just nine times out of 10 falling asleep with a book on my chest. Yeah.
0: I'm always coming in and uh, taking her glasses off of her head. And and usually there's a lot of uh, crackers around (laughs) or pop chips. So I'm like pushing those back into the bag. (laughs) She didn't like that comment. So, You know, and and kind of putting the the magazines or the books or whatever she's reading off to the side and, you know, preparing the bed so I can actually get in it, Lydia. But yeah, I mean, they found so many things with this sleep causes diabetes, stroke, heart disease, like Lydia mentioned earlier, death, accidents, low productivity, kills your sex drive, anything that kills your sex drive. I'm not doing. I'm going to start sleeping my ass off now. No, just kidding. Depression and anxiety.
1: And I want to just add one thing about the accidents. So, um, This is a really scary thing, but I think you don't realize how tired you are when you leave set, especially if you're doing days and nights and you're flipping back and forth between schedules and your body doesn't know should it be asleep or awake. And I have talked Shane home more nights because I was so worried about him falling asleep and you know, because he was driving home at like two o'clock in the morning or some craziness. And even with the the windows down and, you know, your car freezing, you still fall asleep and you can actually kill yourself. And people in the film industry have done it. So I just, you know, it's really scary. And I just wanted to say that because I think it's so important to ask your partner, if if you're not feeling safe to drive Uber or have have your person come and get you at whatever hour of the day and night it is just like you would do with your kids because i think as adults you know we're like ashamed to ask in some weird way and say you know what i'm just too tired to drive because it's not worth the risk right <laughs>
0: Exactly. And, and uh, there's been a lot of push within the film industry to kind of lower the hour work week and, and, you know, make things a lot safer for our technicians and for all the creatives to kind of function and not uh, have all these long hours. And uh, I have to say it, definitely creates more creativity because uh, I remember the set of fathers and daughters we were doing mainly six some six hour days some eight hour days some 10 hour days and some 12 hour days but mainly 10 hour days and with that I mean the creativity was just flowing we were all getting sleep we're, the crew was all going out to dinner together because we got off at a decent time and and there was just such a, a an amazing sense of camaraderie as well. And I, I think it was a it's a really very positive thing to try and, you know, I would much more shoot more days than than more hours in a day. And that's what we kind of felt that was pretty successful on fathers and daughters.
1: Okay, so we are at the end of our podcast, and we wanted to, before we wish you all happy holidays again, we wanted to end on a question. So, because we haven't ever done this before, and this is a new new method for our podcast just for this month. We're trying it out, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Um, but we wanted to know what drives you as a filmmaker. So that's the question that Shane and I are posing, because I think... As a result of that questions, we're going to get a lot of really interesting questions. So think about the question and either give a response um, to, you know, on Facebook or or email us a response or come up with another question for the January podcast in terms of what drives you as a filmmaker.
0: And I have to say that this is, you know, this health Um, and uh, awareness and and, uh, sleep and stretching and exercising and all this stuff. This is something that we really want to open up and open up that discussion because it is going to help your longevity as an artist. It's not, and Lydia is really awesome at this. She does tons of research and uh, any question that you throw at her, she is going to deliver in spades. And she's going to have very unique ways to look at it that are not just Western medicine. And I think this is something that we really want to open up to our podcast questions. So it's not always just camera, lensing, lighting. It's
1: a lifestyle section. And you know, I've made Shane try crazy things over the years, and he's like, "Oh my God, what are you, what are you doing now?"
0: Oh my God, you should see the concoction of vitamins and minerals and things that, you know, when I open open them up on the set, I have these little Ziploc bags with all my vitamins on it. When I open that up, everyone's like, "Holy shit, what? How, how many drugs are you on?" And I'm like, "I'm not on drugs. These are all vitamins and digestive enzymes and."
1: Supplements. Uh,
0: Supplements to kind of keep me (laughs) cracking.
1: So anyway, let us know if you'd be interested in a lifestyle section because that's something that I've dreamed about. And let us know what drives you as a filmmaker. So those are the two questions. And I wish you from my entire family, from Shane, from Kira, from Miles, from Wonder Dog, our dog. We wish you an incredible holiday season filled with so many blessings and so much love and spending quality time really, you know, reconnecting with people. And that's what the holidays are about. And it's not driving yourself harder. It's really just let's take a second to breathe and reconnect and and really go old school.
0: You know, I really like doing this podcast with you, Lydia. I I think that uh, we have um, you you have a wonderful, unique perspective on every topic. Even if I'm talking about a sumalux C. Like a lens. What's the f-stop on that, Lydia?
1: All right, Shane, throw me under the bloody bus. He just had to do it.
0: (laughs) No, I I really had a lot of fun with this, and we want to try and do this more often, because I think it really shows you our whole methodology and mindset and how we work as uh, an amazing team, and also how much we love each other and we love to share with you. So, happy holidays, have a, a, an incredible new year, and uh, don't forget to submit those podcast questions.
1: Happy holidays. This oh, was fun. It
0: was. Bye-bye. Everybody. If you love what you're listening to here, go to shanesinnercircle.com. It is knowledge that is forged on the set. This is not a classroom environment. This is boots on the ground, immersive learning that you can apply immediately to whatever your skill level is.
1: Knowledge you can trust, people that care. That's exactly what happens in our loving film community of shanesinnercircle.com.
0: Hi, I'm Shane Hurlbut, and I'm an ASC cinematographer And my wife and I have created this incredible resource called the Filmmakers Academy. And we'd love for you to download and rate our app. If you're a filmmaker, do yourself a favor and download the Filmmakers Academy app today. It's available wherever you get your apps. Most notably, the App Store, Google Play, Amazon App Store, and the Roku Channel Store. The app includes everything on the platform for All Access members and from content to community and coaching opportunities. Everything you need to master your craft. So download the app, and this is the most important part. Be sure to rate it. Rating us really helps us spread the word and enhance our rankings in this dedicated app store. So if you love what we're doing, this is a way to show it. Together, let's take your career as a filmmaker to the next level.